Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world. From current events and trends, through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. Hello and welcome to another edition of RazorWire. Today we're back with the professional segment, as we lovingly term it, and I am returning here again with Ian and Chris, who last time had a very heated debate about the difference and, and the opinions on security versus privacy. Now, we, don't, we, we thought we'd bring it down a tad this week. Um, and what we will actually talk about now is the inability of insurance firms to kind of work out what they're doing with the terms and conditions and some of the problems that we're having within the insurance industry. And if, if we've got a bit of time left over, there's also quite an interesting piece on burnout. So we'll see if we get to that. So cyber liability insurance or cyber insurance or whatever you want to term it as, it's been around as a product for a little while now. And I think over the course of the pandemic and just before, so there were some big, big kind of claims against people's insurance. And insurance companies being the fantastic institution that they are, always make sure they have particularly good terms and conditions with regards to potentially not paying out. Uh, and their due diligence as well that they always do on all customers with their actuaries before giving insurance over to an organization is quite extensive. I've worked for a reinsurance firm, well, a couple of reinsurance firms actually over the course of my career. So I, that, that's where I learned all about risk. And there's nobody who knows more about risk than the insurance industry because that's basically what they deal in. But then Merck happened where Merck had a breach, went to get their payout, in no uncertain terms got told no due to the clause of act of war, which became a very big, hotly debated topic in the courts between Merck and, and their insurers, and no doubt their reinsurers as well. And consequently, Merck won. About $1.3 might be a little bit more. There's a few reports it's a little bit more and yeah. whatever. But it was a lot of money. Look at it this way. It was, it was enough to put out, you know, put a, a couple of insurance companies probably out of business. And now what's this led to, and, and there's been a lot in the news, and I've posted it up on LinkedIn recently, that Lloyds of London, the glorious institution of insurance who, who wrote the book on it, are really... I, don't, I wouldn't say confused, but they're trying to look at ways to change their terms and conditions and their, their, their contractual obligations from act of warfare to something a little bit more appropriate because the defense of it was warfare doesn't really work, in my opinion, when it's against a pharmaceutical company. If it was against a water company... Uh, an electrical company or a collection or conglomerate of that, or maybe even suppliers to a government, then I could feasibly see how that could be used. But it's not the same when it's a commercial concern, a single organization, or even a small group of organizations. Debate. I'm not just sure if there's going to be a, a debate part on that, actually. Um, I mean, I'm, we'll give it a go. But I agree with what, exactly what you've said there. So if there's, a, if there's an attack on like a nation state on... On its on the on the national infrastructure, um, then I would I would declare that as 
that's a that's an act of war. But if it's on a pharmaceutical company, for instance, then or or a you know McDonald's, um, it's a it's a commercial thing, and surely that's just a that's a crime, uh, an act of crime, not an act of war. But then, don't you have to prove that it was a group who were being told by said government, whoever they may well be, that a nation state instructed or paid a group to do that? Because I mean. When it's conventional armies, it's easy, isn't it? You wear you wear the flag. You know, it's pretty easy to define more, well, mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we are going to definitely debate this because I'm going to take the side of the insurance companies and say Ooh. that... <laughs> I'm going to take the side of the what? insurance companies. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I am. Um, and exactly what you just said, it's just pinged into my head that... So if you're going to do... Uh, if you're going to do an attack on a, on a nation state, for instance, so let's say... Um, Cyber the attack. Cyber attack on a nation state. The, the, and not naming any names, that, but that big country that is north that's cold and has got bears, um, <laughs> they do a lot of it. So if you're going to attack any national infrastructure, um, like you say, water, electricity, gas supplies and, uh, and the whatnot, they're pretty much, they're heavily protected, heavily guarded um, in the cyber world. So it's going to be very difficult. So what would be easier to to try and take down the local you know, a, a bit more, a bit more on the street, um, local infrastructure, and, sm- and slowly but surely, just pocket through different counties, different towns, and, and just taking bits, bits, bits out. And there's no reason that that can't be implemented by a government state. So therefore, if a government state says to crime gang or whoever, oh, this is what we'd like to do, as long as it's fun- obviously they have to prove that it's funded by them act of war that's your issue though that's your one issue proving that nation state said to apt blah go forth do this take south of seti do you remember that way back in i want to say 2005 i could be wrong 2006 as the tanks rolled over and don't forget georgia was a mass one of the first countries all the government was based on online what so happens to all fall over at the same time as the, the tanks roll across that line into South Sessi. South the Italian infrastructure went because uh, it got cyber attacked. Ah. Which was a strange coincidence. It's a very strange. But <laughs> Russia always did not. Uh, sorry, the big. Anyway, yeah, the, the cat's out of the money. Uh, <laughs> they always denied it, saying, nah, it's just sympathizers, mate. It's not that to do with us. This is one of the issues. The way the language is within. And don't forget, you've got your law of armed conflict. It's all written before cyber warfare was a thing in many people's eyes. You're looking back at Geneva Convention, you know, this is when it was pretty much black versus white, you know, in terms of the you know, countries and stuff like that. It was very obvious. They had their own patches. You, know, you could see who's who. This is more spilling into what you're on about it's like clandestine operations which are another three-letter acronym from the u.s are very good at especially the south americas that type of stuff that yeah it's very hard to attribute back to a nation state so where they have like in the insurers they put i'm trying to find the clause that they had it was it war or hostile acts as a get out clause say it's a result of that jog on mate it's so much ambiguity around that it's like, all right, prove it. 
And that's why that Merck case came up. And I think that's where the Merck, the courts sided on is saying, like, prove it. It was a, an act of war and to the insurers. And they're like, well, come on, mm, bit of an issue here. So he's like, right, pay out. It's a very difficult. It is a very difficult subject to define. I'm not going to de- deny that. Would it? Would it not depend um, if we if we label it as an act of war? You know, that's nation state against nation state, or going for nation uh, critical infrastructure that's going to bring yeah. the nation down, for instance. Okay, yeah, the fact that that's fine. So uh, the case we were talking about, someone uh, the cyber attack on the pharmaceutical company. Now, yeah, okay, yeah. not national infrastructure to keep keep the nation going. Yeah. But that, I think that's arguable. Well, yeah, but they're not a hospital, are they? They're a, they're a supplier of, of pills and lotions and potions. To make people better for a hospital, which is your national, which is your national infrastructure. Describe them as witches and wizards, though, <laughs> Well, it's, it's all witches and wizardry to me, but or chemistry. What if someone was to um, ha- have, a, have a pop at a food distribution logistics, for instance? There have been some funny explosions in a funny amount of food food <laughs> places over in the states, which is very bizarre. I guess the really it's, it's the 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 original definition in insurance for act of war was was before technology really was a, a a big aspect of it. And I think what it is is it's it's if the tanks come rolling in and destroy your your office block and all of your kit. Because they're invading, then the, you know we're not going to cover it's that. It's very black and white. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's face it. Insurance is all about risk. It's a, it's a it's a it's a bit like very educated gambling. How many payouts are we going to have to make over the period of the insurance coverage, and is it going to exceed the premiums that we can charge, or that we're looking to charge? But then this is the other thing that's always confounded me. Insurance companies, if you want to insure for fire, for instance, fire safety or whatever. If you're of of a certain size, they'll send some people in, some professionals in that space to go and check what you have, what you have in place. Obviously, if you're sitting there with candles burning all over the place and a furnace that's open and somebody piling in petrol, then they're going to go... We're not, we're not, we're not insuring you (laughs) against fire because the, the risk here is rather significant. This is a tier three data centre. Yes, of course. <laughs> but when it comes to cyber liability insurance, when you look at some of the forms, like because it's only forms you have to fill out, it's like, do you have a you know antivirus? Do you have a risk, pro, you know, profile methodology? Do you? They are getting a bit more sophisticated. I've seen portals like you know how you do your third party assurance, your likes of One Trust and stuff like that. They've started rolling that out now. That's what I've seen as well. And it'll give you a ranking of uh, like ABC. But you can still lie. Oh uh, yeah, but then you you sure it's valid, mate. <laughs> if you lied about it, <laughs> I was going to say. Is it um, so when you put your insurance uh, when you put your insurance details down uh, of what you, what protection you've got? If you just put, have you got a firewall? Yes. They don't ask which one. Do they? they don't ask what no. it is. Is it any good? Does it work? No. <laughs> I mean, the, the, what I've found is the bigger brokers have started to ask those questions. They're starting to go into that detail. They're actually starting to hire in. The issue, what you got, is because of all this ransomware, they paid out millions and they went, ah. And all they were doing is just like a tick box exercise, essentially, which what basically just described. But they are trying to now catch up, do some form of 
better due diligence, but it's not it's not great. They're not coming in pen testing you. They're not coming in and auditing. They're not sending someone in to go, right, show me this firewall that you've got plugged in. They're not doing that. It is uh, actually, you have to tell us the truth. Admittedly, if you don't tell them the truth, invalid insurance, but... But then it becomes a big bun fight because you, you've got one side insurers saying, no, you're not, you, you know, you, you're not secure enough. And then you've got the actual organisation going, well, no, we were secure. But technology's moved on and beat our previous firewall, for instance. Yeah, you know, but then it, you just end up going to court. So you both end up spending millions and millions and millions on a court case, which one of you is going to lose and then have to pay millions upon millions, potentially billions, to the other side. I don't know. It's it's like why why let's 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 throw something out there. Why not engage with information security professionals to do the due deal? Employ them yourself. As an insurance company, employ somebody in that space, not somebody who once looked at a firewall and went, ooh, it's a firewall. Actual professionals in this space. I mean, admittedly, there's not enough professionals to go around in just InfoSec jobs, let alone InfoSec jobs related to insurance, insurance due diligence. But, I mean, I spoke with a firm the other day, uh, an American firm, where cyber liability insurance is really, really big over there at the moment. And they were saying they went to, uh, I won't say who they were, but they they went to a load of big insurance companies and said, well, why don't you engage us to do the due diligence? And the insurance company said, well, how much is it going to cost? And they went, well, $30,000, $40,000, you know, because, I mean, they were only talking about big ones, not the smaller ones. Bearing in mind some of the premiums these people pay, you know, these organizations pay Mm. a hell of a lot more. And they went, oh, no, that's too expensive. Can't you just go in for a day? You're going to get nothing out of that. It's like, well, how are you going to assess somebody in a day, like a, a large organisation in a day? I did PCIDSS auditing. It takes me weeks. And the larger the firm, the bigger it, the longer it takes because you want to do your due diligence properly because if you don't, then, and you submit a bum report, then surely the insurer can then come back to you contractually after having the big payout and go, Information security company, you told us they were secure and they're not, so you must have lied or misrepresented. So you end up with liability on our side of the fence as well. Actually, what you point out there is that the chain. It's the chain of I don't want to pay it out. There is, because they re, don't they, there's reinsurance as well. So the insurance. Yes, there is. The insurance, yeah. They're only going to cough up 40%, I think it is, isn't it? And then they the reissue the sixty percent of it or something. I think the stat I read. Well, the the way the way it tends to work is you so you you'll have an insurance company will go in and they'll insure, and they'll insure for the full amount. But what they will do is they will apportion some of the risk off to reinsurance their end. Yeah. So if they will ultimately pretty much do the paying out, but some of their risk is hedged by other firms. Yeah. And I used to I used to work for a reinsurance firm and I used to go into Lloyds of London. It's a weird, weird place. I don't know what it's like now, but back 20 years ago, yeah. there was lots of what they call boxes, which is like tables where all the different reinsurance groups sit all the way around. You have to wear a suit. You're not allowed to wear anything else. Can't wear just a shirt. You have to wear a suit, full suit. And uh, it's just lots of people walking around at that, that point with bits of paper. And they'd go over, sit next to someone. It's a bit like speed dating, but insurance. 
and they would have a little chat with somebody and that person would either nod and sign off and then boom, 20% of your risk is underwritten by a reinsurance firm. Yeah. Or they'd shake their heads or they'd renegotiate or whatever. And and you could you could take a risk that in that was worth, say, I don't know, 100 million quid and you could probably get 40, 50 percent of that written off by a number of different reinsurance firms which spreads that risk i can't see a lot of insurance firms or reinsurance firms even considering insuring anybody for for a reasonable premium whilst this is hanging over their heads but if you are an organization associated with the government what's the point what's even the point in getting it you might as well take what the premium you were going to pay for it and invest it into your into the defense itself defense and depth yeah and take the risk but what if you, what if you're not a government organisation? There's a large element of re, uh, insuring yourself, having that pot of cash. That's what's expected nowadays. And like organisations are also expected to go around and get loads of policies to top up, because you're not going to get one insurance broker is, uh, or a policy holder is uh, take uh, I don't know, Aon, like one of the big ones. So they'll go, yeah, we'll give you five mil. And they're like, well, we need 20. So then you've got to go round, and this is where you get insurance brokers. But and they'll do the legwork, but you then top it up. Like, oh, we'll take we'll take the first five. So you have to claim against the first five if it is. We'll take the second and uh, then next insurance organization, we'll take the second five. And then it goes, oh, we'll take two percent because there's less risk of us being claimed and claimed. And that's how it works now. You have to go around begging. Oh, key top me up, key top me up. So are they are they are they cutting out reinsurance firms entirely then? No, I think they're still doing it. It's just to get, say, say you want 20 million, it's really hard to do. Honestly, mm. even if you could be the best. I'm going to say, so how, how do you get insurance in the first place? And if you've got to go to sort of five different brokers, uh, sorry, you've got to go to five different insurance. They No, the broker will do it. The broker will go to the insurance organizations for you. You end up like filling out five separate weird, wonderful um, due diligence questions, which all have different flavour, which all ask different questions. You're like, how's this relevant? So, so essentially, you, you the business insures itself for, for twenty million uh, against a ransom attack. Yes. Yeah, so, so you, maybe you say I can get up to uh, all I can get is twelve mil. Right. Oh, I'm going to have to insure myself for the, for the eight, and you get, you have to prove that because certain contracts, if you're like supplying a service there's a lot of within the contract so you have to have cyber insurance of x mil indemnity you know can you identify yourself so then you have to have have certificate that goes yes i've got x mil so a lot of it is contract driven as well so let's say the the contract is okay the the business needs to insure itself for 20 million but are you saying that companies are finding it difficult to go to it's cheaper to to one insurer yeah and get the full whack. So, and just go and get five and say, right, you do this for four, you do this for four, you do this for the four. ten, give us the five. It's cheaper just to insure yourself, honestly, and what, do what you said. So out of interest, what without divulging anything you shouldn't do, I mean, how big were the premiums on for a, a £20 million, you know, insure? I mean, what are we... Still- well, that's the issue. You're never going to get that much. There's not enough cash in the cyber insurance to go around to give everyone no. insurance. Well, I'm guessing you're, you're you're paying what you know. So for twenty mil, what for a year? Yeah, this is just for a year, and you, you're looking at excess of million, million, two million, three million, four million, five million. It is literally it, it, really it tops up. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So that's why you say 
I'll just insure myself. Well, yeah, but this this just goes back to it. Why not spend the five five million quid buys you a lot of cyber security? Yeah, a re or at least it depends on the size of the company, I suppose, or the organisation. But yeah. whereas you're going to put the money into something where which feasibly may have terms of crazy terms and conditions that isn't going to pay out. So not only are you out your premiums, you're also out your recovery costs and whatever lost revenue you've got from the bad PR costs. For sound like I'm doing the fair risk methodology, you know how I feel about that. I love that. Steady, steady now. <laughs> but, but, but also you're not getting a payout for it. No, no. So, well, you've got to then fight for the payout. <laughs> well, yeah. But they're, not, they're not just going to hand it over, are they? I mean, yeah. you know... Any of you out there that's ever tried to claim on insurance when it comes to a business, you know, it's a it's not a fun process. Look at it this way. And it takes a while to do the payout as well. What what do you think the the overall solution to have to be obviously because attacks are moving on. So obviously if everyone's if you've got cybersecurity absolutely the, the best in the world today, tomorrow morning it might not be worth nothing because someone's found oh, yeah. yeah. So this is why you you layer your security, don't you? You defence in depth it. The best methodology that you can do is have that defence in depth. Pour that self, whatever you've got a self-insurance, pour that money into bolstering your defence in depth. But look, we all know, we're all adults here. We know breaches happen. They're going to happen. It's not, it's not if, it's when. Yeah. Just having that layered approach is a lot more better than it's your, your insurance policy that may not pay out. So I take it. I take it the. In, I mean, I don't know. So um, maybe one of the listeners will know even even better, and they'll be able to give us the actual answer. But are we regulated by government agencies, for instance, on our, by the UK National Cyber Security Centre? So the insurances say if the National Cyber Security Centre said, right, this is the level that everyone needs to be, and if you don't, ha- if you if your business don't have that level, you're ins- you're not you're not going to hit insurance. A bit like. See, I mean, you know, well, okay, uh, it sounds like I'm plugging Razor's Edge, and I suppose I really am. Here. <laughs> but, but obviously you've got now this whole kind of concept of continuous testing. Would it not be better for insurance companies to peg it against that continuous piece? Because, you know, pen tests are a snapshot in time. A form that you fill out for your insurance is a snapshot of time at that yeah. point that you fill out that form. Because as, as Chris pointed out, anything can change in a year. All of a sudden, all your account measures could just fall apart. Because or you could have mass layoff, which you know. Yeah, or you could you could put some 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 information up on GitHub that had a load of passwords, and then blame it on an intern, not <laughs> pointing out any companies there. Um, but if you had a, continu- a a way of continuously proving at least you had a minimum level of security. Would that then provide enough assurance for the for the insurance companies to say, okay, well, you you are actually, you know, because with the thing about continuous pen testing is that because it's continuously checking, it you you've got a track record of vulnerabilities that appeared, and then how quickly they disappeared. You could prove to an insurance company, look, yeah, okay, we had this vulnerability it appeared. It was a zero day or it was something that we introduced when we did an upgrade or put some new services on. It got picked up, but it was fixed within three days, you know. Yeah. Wouldn't that then provide enough assurance to that insurance company? Okay, well, they are checking and undertaking, you know, a security program because that's what they want to know, yeah. you yeah. know. 
and at least then, I mean, obviously we haven't, t- we don't even touch on the T's and C's there, but you know, at least then you, you the, the insurance companies can go, okay, let's set a fair premium for for what you want. So you want fifty million, you can have fifty million continuous pen testing service or some kind of ten- continuous assessment service. So at least the cyber stuff is done, like the web apps, the external infrastructure. You can now do internal infrastructure. Again, not plugging Rose's Edge here. But it's my podcast. I could do it if I want to. Um, <laughs> but um, at least then you've got assurance to the insurance companies. You can then turn around and say, okay, well, maybe it's just bad luck. Okay, pay out. You know, we, we don't want to, obviously, but we'll pay out. But in them, in them T's and C's, them, them insurance companies are going to put, I'm sure, I mean, I'm just thinking if it was my money and someone was claiming off me, I'd be like, well, you found a vulnerability. It took you three days to fix it. And you got hit in them three days. So you wasn't covered by you. You told me you was covered and you wasn't for them three days. You told me you had sufficient security and for them three days you didn't. Do you have the insurers? <laughs> Maybe you should, Chris. There you go. So any insurers out there looking at doing this kind of due diligence or looking at least for their T's and C's, first of all, Razor's Edge is great for, for continuous assurance, but Chris will do your T's and C's for you. Yeah. I think what you just described there, though, James, uh, is pretty much cyber essentials. Mm-hmm. Cyber essentials? That's a joke. Plus. Yeah, all right. Oh, yeah, plus. The plus adds so much depth to it, doesn't it? I'm uh, sorry. No, but it's it. I'm going to be unfair to what cyber essentials. What is, having a national standard, having that, it's, it's already there. Cyber essentials plus. Yeah, but cyber essentials, cyber essentials is just again, it's a snapshot in time, and it's and it's not yeah. really well defined, is it? Let's, it's well defined, but it's not exactly, you know, what we would consider secure. I mean, if no. someone came to me and said, "Oh, I'm secure because I've got cyber essentials," once I've finished laughing, which would be about twenty minutes, and I'm I'm really doing doing whoever wrote that that thing and the injustice. But I mean, it's. It, Unfortunately, the government built that particular piece of, of compliance or legislation or framework, whatever you want to term it as, in a way that could be applicable to anyone of any size, which it's nice and fair, but it means they have to dumb it down to the smallest possible set of requirements. Whereas you've got things like PCI DSS, where it's a very, very significant standard and yeah. it's, it's quite tough to maintain. You know, there's a lot of work you need to do. And I'm a QSA, as you know, and I audit against it all the time. And it is, it, I mean, when you read through the requirements, they're, they're pretty standard stuff that they ask for. But keeping it at the level that they ask for, and the tests and the checks and the what have you that you have to do, can get quite tough for some organizations. You have to have an infosec, com- you know, infosec function within the environment, or at least yeah. have procured one. And you have to do checks and tests and balances. And yes, you've got to have your vulnerability scans, but that's quarterly, a pen test, and that's annual or after a significant change. But I don't think that's enough anymore to provide assurance of levels of security. I mean, look at large firms out there at the moment who are having this exact problem where they've got suppliers because everything's now as a service. You want your HR solution, have it as a service. You want your backup solutions as a service. Very little is in-house and completely controlled by the company. You know, about 20 years, everything was. Now it's it's a very different world. But they're trying to force due diligence on these third parties and finding it very, very difficult because they're finding, weirdly enough, 
the third parties have third parties who have third parties who have third parties. And before you know it, it's like, well, how far down the chain do you go? Yeah. So with insurance, if it starts being enforced, oh, you must have insurance. You're like, right, I've got insurance, but is there a requirement for me to make sure that my suppliers have insurance? Oh, do you have insurance suppliers? Oh, yeah, we do. Well, you need to enforce it into yours as well. But all it takes is one to not, and it's it, the whole thing falls apart because... Well, it's kind of like PCI, isn't it? Oh, I've got to be careful what I say here because I'm under a code of ethics. Yeah. PC, PCI is a very, very good and well-formed maintained standard, I'll have you know. That's your opinion. You're entitled to it. But... <laughs> I'm in trouble with the council now. But no, what I'm saying is with PCI, it's kind of like your suppliers are in that CDE... They've got a they three. are. I know. I know. There's the three golden rules and all that jazz. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. But it's now become a point where those suppliers have supplies, and you know that's how they regulate it. It's it's you regulate your own suppliers all the way down the chain. Maybe that's the approach then. Yeah, but then you're forcing cyber liability insurance, which could be quite costly on potentially small companies who can't afford it. Like security, I can I can secure with a good budget. I can pretty much secure anything. All of us can. But if you're a, like a five-man band just getting on your feet and you're supplying, I don't know, backups, let's just use backup services, backup services to a larger organization, you're never going to be able to bid for that work. So you're never going to grow. Yeah. The government are mandated to try to promote business growth. And how are you going to promote business growth if you put restrictions on people to the point where they can't build anything? That's Then, then your risk factor comes in, doesn't it? I mean... Who, well, yeah. The, the chances of five man band being being uh, being attacked are, are pretty slim because no one's going to know about them uh, until they start getting bigger and then. Obscurity is no form of security. It's a fair point. Fair point. But yeah, the, the, then I see what you're saying. If, if there's a minimum level that insurance companies go, yeah, you've got this, you've got that, you've got the cyber essentials, we can insure you, perfect. And then, but if you can't afford to implement that in your business yet, then where, where do you go? Where do you, who do you turn to? And probably like Ian said on that, then you just got to self-insure, which is not good. <laughs> but then, you know, if you've got a client who's requiring that before they give you the business, you're in, you're, you, you fall into the same issue. And then if, even if they're... You've already got that though, James. You've already got well, yeah. clients demanding that you have a certain level of cyber insurance. And, and that's fair enough, but if, if the insurance companies themselves can't get to grips with it at the moment, and they really can't, because Lloyd's have, have categorically said, we've, we've got to work on these terms and conditions because they don't apply in the cyberspace. They just don't, they don't, you know, how we, we need to facilitate this. But in the meantime, you're just going to have to cope with massively high premiums, you know, and it's so risky to operate in the cyberspace at the moment Anyway, you're not going to see premiums come down anytime soon. And and the other thing is also, don't forget, insurance companies insure multiple companies for the same thing, hoping that, not hoping, but statistically speaking, they try to get it so they can cope with two or three people having a, an issue, but not the, you know, a small percentage having an issue, but not the whole lot. If you're looking at a, a sudden explosion of, of, of attacks ransomware <laughs> and that's what I mean, happened there, well there's that ransomware group now that say you know if you quietly let us know what your insurance mm. you know level is then we'll just charge a bit below it we'll charge you your insurance yeah. yeah 
whatever you can claim, that's what we'll charge you. Exactly. Now, by the looks of it, and, and, and from what I've seen, obviously, if you if you tell a criminal what your insurance level is, then it avoids <laughs> your insurance anyway. But how are they going to yeah. prove that you did that? <laughs> so all that happens is that they go, well, it's too risky to operate in this space. We can't. Okay, so let's let's insure everything apart from ransomware attacks. You can't do that though, because that should. What well, you, why not? That's actually, because the tax vectors at the moment. Yeah. But if you're, you know, that that I mean, should. Yeah, sure. That's what insurance companies could do. It could do, but then it's. Yeah. Oh, it's bad to say it's pointless, but uh, yes, there are other avenues of attack, but that is a line to take it. But I think it just, the entirety of the insurance way cyber insurance is given out and stuff and graded and all that, that just needs a massive overhaul. It needs bringing up to date because they're still in, I mean, I mean, I know we discussed it earlier, but they're still in archaic terms, you know, shuffling paper. Let's be honest. Well, I think it's moved on a bit from there, but... The insurance companies are always going to try, like you say, right, we said it right at the beginning, they're always going to try and get out of it, and especially in that case, was it, uh, you know, um, an act of war or espionage? There's there's a difference. Um, however, there's... What, they're always going to have a bum fight. What is an act of war? What is espionage? How do you insure against which one's which and which one's not in the cyber world, which is very difficult. So I think... As a as a simple stupid, which I love that phrase, there has to be. See, none of us have got an idea of how to. No, we haven't. Next <laughs> I don't think we'll. But, we don't think we'll solve it on this. To be honest, and uh, it's going to take years. I think like exactly what James said is that having having the the current expert and uh, and as much as you can within the insurance companies saying yes, this product is good. This, this is good. This is the standard. This is the level that a business of this size needs to be at. There's a, this is the level that a business of this size needs to be at as a minimum, then that's the, that's the only way you can, surely that's the only way they can calculate their risks and, and say, yeah, we can assure you for this, that and the other. There's always the nuclear option. <laughs> oh, wow, we're talking... We're talking with... just stop insuring on cyber insurance, which some have. Well, to be honest, I don't... Because you can't afford to pay out. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, at the end of the day, if you're looking at having to pay out on something that's going to destroy your organisation, then, no, I mean, we've got to remember they are business people. Yeah, they are businesses. They have souls, yeah. So, mm. depends who you talk to there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, look, I, a large chunk of my family was in insurance for many, many years. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, go. insurance is there to serve. Well, exactly, insurance is there to serve a purpose, and it is a good is a good way of recouping some of the cost of of taking a risk. Your losses, yeah. But equally, it's better to not get in that situation firsthand. But but the due diligence that these insurance companies are going to have to start doing to be able to kind of set a reasonable premium that's going to be accepted by by an organisation, they want the business. They just don't want to take ridiculous levels of risk. They are used to paying out every now and then. It's just like, how often am I paying out? Some of these actuaries calculate thousand-year risk, which is basically calculating against a data set that's a thousand years' worth of, of, of data on a subject matter. But that's different forms of, of insurance. You know, I used to have to install these applications when I was in IT on local machines, and this was at a time when local machines were nowhere near as powerful as they are now. And it took hours to install this thing with a localized database 
And so the data sets they're using for a lot of their insurance premiums are all well-formed and all the rest of it. With, with cyber liability, there's more we don't know about cybersecurity in the malicious sense mm. than we do know. You know, we've got an idea. We can take an educated guess. You hear about things on the grapevine. But I couldn't tell you how big half of these gangs are or quite, you know, I'll know what their specialisms are if, I'm, if I've got cyber intelligence tools and, you know, I do enough digging around. But I don't have time to do that, <laughs> I'll be honest. But the capability is pretty high. I mean, look at the Vulcan files recently, the, the, the group that were associated with a certain cold country you know, uh, country's government and were accused of not only training up some of the cybersecurity specialists that that country had, in quotes, but were also implicated in launching certain malicious actions against organisations that may or may not have been associated with the government. And that was a leak. And let's face it, it didn't come as any big surprise. Yeah, I think insurance is a bit of a bit of a problem. I don't think they're going to be able to do this, not efficiently and effectively, and or not at least without changing their terms and conditions to become so restrictive that people might not even sign up on it anyway. I mean, you know. Instead of pressing the nuclear button, they're just going to say, yeah, okay, we can, or at least the bigger ones, we can assure you, however, your, your premiums are astronomical because we can't take that risk. Yeah. Or, and you have to reach a certain level of assurance. Yeah. But then well. you've got to prove that, and you've got to yeah. consistently prove that over time. Yeah. But but the other thing there is, if you are a firm who has had a breach, let's just you know say you're a large organisation that has had a breach, you are never going to get insured afterwards. Oh, you're blackballed, aren't you? Yeah. If you if you if you get a payout, then either the premiums are going to be, as Chris says, well beyond astronomical because you've had a problem in the past, but. Is that there's every possibility you won't get insured anyway. So if you do have... That's always the question right now as well on those questionnaires that you get through insurers. Have you had a data breach? Well, this is... Yeah, but this is the other thing. If you have con- contracts that are reliant on having insurance of a cyber nature and you can't get it because you had a breach, you're going to get out of business as well anyway. So w- with that, if um, it, it, your business is up to standard b for instance and that and that insurance company say yeah we're happy with standard b but then you get breached do they then go to the rest of their customers that are only on standard b that have exactly the same as you and say oh by the way we've had a breach on we now need to we need to pump everyone up because they're not going to reinsure you again well they've been doing that already that's what's happened because of the ransom exactly right Uh, yeah and then they've gone that's why it's so hard to get cyber insurance now. so they so the insurance companies you can get insured and then they just move the goalposts with yeah with so that. basically yeah you know if, if you find that um pharmaceutical let's just use pharmaceutical companies pharmaceutical companies are at much much higher levels of risk then they will set the premiums to what they consider to be lucrative enough to be able to to take that risk that they may have to pay out yeah um whereas if you're you know, in an organisation that's never been attacked and no one's ever ever ransomware undertaken malicious actions, then they're probably going to set you a lower premium because all they do is they, they base a lot of it off of historical data. How often? You know, this is why when, when you look at FAIR, which was based off of the insurance way of doing things, although a much more simplified way, it looks the probability factors aren't a percentage. It's how many times over a period of time do you foresee this occurring? Which is, in my opinion, a much better metric. Again, mm. fair, 
risk methodology. Very good. But yeah, because uh, it's, it's just tough. I just don't see how they're going to f- even come close to fixing that. Anyway, sounds like we've argued to a point. So very quickly, since we've got ooh, 10 minutes or so, Wall Street Journal have just put out a story about how 73% of cybersecurity leaders within, the, the, obviously, the one out of the ones that they spoke to, which we don't know what the set is, have, have suffered significant burnout, which I can believe. It's because they can't get insured. It's because they can't get insured. <laughs> Uh, well, exactly. I mean, that's the other thing. If if your if your if your if your CEO said, right, CISO, go out and get some insurance, and the CISO goes out and goes, yeah, we're not going to get insured. That, then they have to go back and go, yeah, sorry, you know, you wanted that insurance to to secure those millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of contracts. Yeah, we can't get any insurance. We can't get that because we haven't got we, we haven't got the infrastructure that we need to get insured. Um, because I'm too because I'm too busy at this moment in time to fix it. Or they just won't insure us because you know we had a breach. You know what's what do you think is going to happen to that CISO? Get out. See you later. I'll get another, I'll get somebody else in. So CISOs and and it was the same when I was doing it for for organisations and not running my own. It was scary to actually have to go in and explain to the powers that be because you would be summoned as to, to what the breach was, the nature of the breach, why you didn't do something in the first place to secure against it. And it's, it's, it's a horrible sword of Damocles to have over your head. It's beyond your control as well. And we've seen a lot of finger-pointing. I don't know about you guys, but I've seen a lot of finger-pointing over the years, especially people trying in IT trying to save their own jobs. Oh, it was nothing to do with us. It was, we, you know, the information security person didn't, didn't tell us that there was a risk of this. And then all of a sudden you're, you're hauled up. Oh, why didn't you assess this risk? Oh, I did. Here's here's the risk register. Well, why didn't you do something about it? Oh, well, nobody would give me any money. It's not a good yeah. enough answer. But that's like every every business. Um, even though they say we we heavily invest in cyber security or, or security to just a general security is always the first to go when when there's budget cuts. Mm. It, it's always the one that because if you're doing a good job, no matter which side you're in, especially in cybersecurity, if you're doing a good job and you think you've got a handle on everything, um, you've got an internal stock that's running okay, brilliant, everything's fine, hunky-dory, no one sees any problem. The alarms don't go off and go, there's an attack and well done, Joe Blogs, for stopping it. Nobody knows. So they just go, well, these lot don't do anything, so we'll cut that and then we'll cut that and then before you know it, they haven't got sufficient protection, they get a breach, they can't get insured, that person loses his job. And those people doing that good job they're doing like 80 hours a week. They're burned out. Yeah. Which yeah. is the irony as well. Well, <laughs> this is the other thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, during an incident, which could happen at any point, you're expected to be there dealing with it. Whether you're on holiday, whether you're asleep. It's a 24-7, 365 job. Exactly. You know, you can't just go on holiday and go, it'll be fine. If somebody calls you up and goes, we've got security in. So quite often, those security people are, be, are, are basically have to, pull themselves away which affects your relationships which further stresses you out and i think you know one of the weird things that i found over over the pandemic lockdowns was a lot of people a lot of my peers who were a bit older than me because i got into infosec when i was quite young but they're kind of at the, at the top of their careers they found out what it was like to sit in a garden and not get shouted at 
<laughs> and could enjoy themselves on a daily basis without having to go down the pub and drink themselves to into a coma to get over the shouting and screaming and the stress that they had. So they decided to stay there and not come back or at least do a little bit of freelance. I know quite a few professionals who did that, which means we lost the benefit of all of their their experience for the next generation. And we got another new we got a new generation of infosec people coming in from either other careers or from uni or wherever it may well be. And they have no idea what they're about to step into. Yeah. And with security becoming more and more a board level thing, you know, advisors to the board and board level concerns, that stress just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because we've now got CISOs being threatened with jail time if they don't do the job properly or if they do do the job properly and they just get unlucky or they try to cover it up like a certain one that we were talking about before. Yes. Getting on, which, you know, on one scale, he shouldn't have done that. On the second one, what if his boss had told him to do that and his bosses have just turned around and thrown them under the bus and gone, ha, we didn't say any of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just put, puts more burden of proof on you as a CISO as to what you've been told to do, how you've done it, and it just piles that stress even further on because not only are you proving to other people that you've done what you or everything that you can do, but you've also predicted everything you could predict. And quite often you never have the budgets you need for in order to, to make things as good as you want them. I think that, that role is, I don't I, what, 70% proactive on new trends and what's happening, upgrading, and, and then 30% reactive when something happens of the whole job. And like you say, you could be anywhere, anytime, any place, and you've got to react. I see, I put a lot more emphasis on incident response. Mm. Obviously, I put a lot into defense in depth, but the problem is, is there's never enough money to usually to do the defense in depth the way that you think that needs to be done so you have to pile it into incident response training so that's why i have a lot of advocacy for wargaming and regular testing building playbooks out of that testing to at least support you going forward to recovery because people will always remember the event but what they really will target you at is how well you recovered from that event yeah. Yeah. If you recover from it, you're a rock star. You know, okay, there might have been some loss. It's going to look bad, but you recouped. We got back you, on track. You, you pulled them out of it. If you, if this is an issue that drags on for years and years and years, it goes to court. We've all seen it before. We were talking about finger pointing earlier on with the insurance companies. It happens internally. Have any of you ever exper- not, not experienced somebody blaming you? for something that went wrong after you told them several times that it was a problem and they ultimately you got ended up getting blamed for it. Have you ever not had that happen? No, I'm going to say Ian probably has. I mean, because he was in the pretend military, so... Well, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. My default is to always just blame Chris anyway, if anything goes yeah. wrong. And it's usually it's a right. <laughs> Yeah, nine times out of ten. It's, uh, it's Chris's fault. Yeah, correct. <laughs> But Chris, I mean, it's, it's like, I think you told me the story, or I, I can't remember if you told us on the channel or if you told me privately, the story of the door that, you know, it was a big secure door that, that, that could stand bombs and people throwing themselves at it and then some idiot went and just wedged it open because it was getting yeah. a bit too hot or something. So your countermeasures were in place. Yeah, but- and 
But if that was the breach uh, from a physical side, and then, um, I mean, it wasn't, but it could have been a server room or critical infrastructure and someone got in there, we've put, we've got policies, we've got, we've got all the, the physical bits in place and yeah, it's, my, it's my head on the chopping block. It is your head on it, and, and of course, there's the average. There's there's also the fun one of if they get in and nick the laptops, then the person who did it goes, "Oh, I left the door open. I don't want to get caught." And just trots trots down very quickly and pulls the wedge. I don't know what happened. The, the door was kind of ajar when I saw it. And so, unless you've got CCTV internally and not on just your ingress and egress points, yeah, or critical points. You could end up getting the blame for it anyway. Oh, there was a substandard door that you put in because somebody still got through it. They all claim that it was closed. Oh, cheers. And you, you avoid your insurance. And then insurance. the insurance companies. <laughs> then you avoid your insurance. Because, then you don't get the insurance because, payout. And then you get fired. <laughs> and then you go to prison. Yeah. At least if it's at least if you can see it was wedged open, you're like, well, okay, this is all right, we avoid our insurance because we've we have we have wedged it open. But at least, you know, the person in charge of me in this point for it might get away with but we had all our measures in place and this was a particular idiot. But like you say, if they shut that door, then there's no, if there's no evidence for, for us to say, though, this was, this was internal stupidity, then yeah, insurance are going to go, well, your door wasn't sufficient like you told it was, so we're not paying you. Um, and then someone's going to go, well, you told us it was, so there's, the, there's your P45, Chris. And then they could add to the whole thing of, well, even if it wasn't your fault, it's a training problem and you obviously didn't train them properly enough to understand the yeah. the need behind it. Or how to open and close the door, yeah. We'll slap the wrists of the manager and then we'll, we'll fire you. We'll fire you. Yeah, and because the insurance company aren't going to pay out, they're going to try and the company are going to sue me and take my house. <laughs> it could get to, I mean, could it get to that? Is that what we're facing? Is uh, I mean, you know, could could a company bring char, you know, civil charges against their own CISOs? I imagine so for if for for negligence. Well, but who proves negligence? You know, what if if you're not getting the budget to do something, then it's not negligence. But then it just adds more. See, this is all sounds very stressful, and I feel like I need a. <laughs> yeah. a, a you put in me. I feel stressed now. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, but we're not in your position, you know. You're in a yeah. in a position of honour where you you get to communicate risk all day long. Yeah, that you could yeah. get blamed for if you don't. Is that what it he properly. tells you he does? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I just sit down, have a cup of tea. That's about it. <laughs> Give Dawson some grief. Yeah. So yeah, last last couple of minutes. Then I mean, have you? What are you seeing from your colleagues, your the people that you work with, the companies that you work? with and know about and people in the community i mean we we, we like to have yeah. a laugh about it and have a bit of a dark sense of humor over it because quite frankly if you don't do that you're probably going to burst into tears and and have to go and have a sit down somewhere and maybe a massage i think if a robust mentality helps and having that sense of humor dark side help but it is definitely a laugh or cry situation yeah, burnout <laughs> and attrition that's what it is at the end of the day. It's people flaking. It's attrition. Uh, to be honest, I've had burnout and stuff like that. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've had it to be you. And you're like, nah, you know what? Done. I'm gone. Um, but it's down to the cultural thing if you, and support to help you with that. If you don't have that in your organization or you don't embed that, say, yeah, okay, just 
have that open door policy of like, if you need support, come help. We'll see what we can do. Yeah, we might not be able to afford to throw more bodies at you, but we can work out something else. You don't have that open dialogue with your line manager, the, the board manager saying, look, these guys are fried. They're working 24-7. It's down to that cultural thing of having that support at the end of the day. That really yeah. helps because you're never going to get rid of the stressful situations in this type of line of work. Let's be honest. You're always going to have that day where it go shit hits the fan. So are you saying that the company should pay for a yearly trip for you to go to Bermuda to sit on a beach and drink margaritas? Yes. On your own? Yes, or Vegas. I'm easy with these. Uh, I mean, I was thinking of something relaxing, not like Vegas where... where Vegas is relaxing. Oh, yeah. It is. What, you, you go there, you wind up penniless and you have to walk back to the airport. <laughs> that's, that's your choice. That's your life choice, James. Mine would be to, have, just to relax. You don't have to walk. You shouldn't have to walk back to the airport if the company are sending you there. They should get you a car at least. So yeah, true. You, you, you can expense the yeah. taxi. <laughs> well, you can't afford to pay the taxi. So <laughs> I was like, just keep your taxi money in your stock, so you you know you can get to the airport. Then then you're all right. Or prepay the taxi before you even get into the casino. No, I think just jumping on what Ian said there. I think definitely. Um, what Bermuda's good. That, <laughs> no Vegas, on the <laughs> on the support. And I think, yeah, it's good to have support and make sure, you know, you've got an open-door policy and you can come to speak about this, that and the other. And like you say, we might not be able to chuck more bodies or more money at it, but we'll definitely try and spread some load and see what we can do. And also, I think from, from a manager's point of view, if you just look at it and say, you know, Ian, have we done everything we can to make sure we're covered in X, Y and Z? Have you done the best of your ability? Yes. Okay. If it goes tits up, I have you back, you know, so not to worry, you know, we're not going to start throwing people under the bus as long as we've done everything we can. If the shit does hit the fan, then we're still a team, we stick together. And, and I think that might take a bit of pressure off people. I want to actually add to that is that when you take your annual leave, it is annual leave. You don't have to look at your phone. You don't have to constantly monitor it. You have that enough resources to go, actually, call me if it burns down. That's, that's when you call me. It's on fire. There's nothing that you can else that can do. That's the only situation that phone should ring for you. But then you're still on tender hooks. <laughs> right, guys. Well, we've hit the top end. You're a busy people. You've got work to do. I've got work to do. Thank you ever so much to everybody out there watching. Ian, Chris, as usual, the professionals uh, uh, debated the subject matter and we're still in the dark. <laughs> How effective. So we suffer from burnout and we still don't know what to do about cyber insurance. So, you know. Self-insure. Self-insure. Fantastic. So, thank you, everybody, and we'll speak to you again soon and we'll come back to you with another segment of Professionals where we'll think up something equally as odd to discuss and come to no conclusions with. So look after yourselves and we'll see you all again soon. Thank you for listening to the Rosewire podcast. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch. Thank you very much and have a great day.